I've had some experience of the trials and tribulations of a startup becoming successful. I learned a lesson about joining a party too late. Never start drinking when everyone else is drunk. <laughs> because you'll be left on your own with the hangover when they've already recovered. <laughs> Mark, good morning. Hello. And good morning to you, Tim. I have come up with the best excuse for not buying Christmas presents this year. Let's hear it. Well, they haven't been unpacked at the port yet. Okay. So <laughs> what, what I had in mind for you is on a ship. Right. Sitting outside one of our ports. And so if you're lucky, you're going to get your there Christmas presents in February. Okay. Yes. Now, I'm sorry, but, you know, we all sort of kind of knew that transit wasn't going lacquer and this and that and that. But as the facts become measurable and you start trying to figure out a 37-kilometer queue of trucks or 70,000 container ships, containers stuck out of the water, which will take 19 days to clear. And then the heading to beat them all was that Transnet outdoes Eskom as the biggest threat to South Africa. I mean, <laughs> yes, what, yes, yes, yes. what next? So, yeah, <laughs> I think we have got an infrastructure backlog, but it does allow me not to buy Christmas presents this year. No, that's always a good thing. What do you think of it all? Listen, what I'm astounded by, I don't know, nobody seems to be worried about this, and it worries me that nobody seems to be worried about this, and that is that, that neither Transnet nor Eskom have got a CEO. I mean, I, I just think that is just, I, I just wonder what you know, private sector company, you know, would operate without a CEO for, you know, for, for eight months, you know, and, and expect things to get better. I mean, uh, Previn Gordon says that the CEOs will be appointed by the end of the year. But still, I mean, you know this better than me, I'm absolutely certain, but there are some decisions in an organization that no one can make other than the CEO. The, the, yeah. And if the CEO is not there, the decision doesn't get made. It just doesn't get made. And one of them is, uh, you know, about appointments and, uh, you know, signing responsibilities. That's the CEO's, you know, primary job. And it's extraordinary to me that nobody seems to think in the ANC that this is a problem. Well, it's that extraordinary word that, that jumps out at me. Because, first of all, the re one of the difficulties in, in appointing a CEO of an SOE is that the list of criteria to qualify for appointment yes. is atypical of any other list in the world or any other enterprise. Okay, You have to find such a combination of political and economic and other qualifications per se yes, you are. You are. and things of that nature that it makes choosing an acceptable CEO a bigger challenge than choosing the right CEO. Yes. And it's that conundrum that leaves us stuck in the headlights. And we can see the result of it wherever you look. Okay. And so we have to cross that boundary of going like, you know, there's 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 a minister that looks after policy and all of those good stuff, and we appoint them as government. And then there's someone who runs the business. Yes. Okay. And the principles about how you run a business and what works and what doesn't work and how much capital costs and how much to deploy and what choices to make and and those two have very little intersection. So, I, you know, the, that's going to continue for so long as we allow popularity to prevail over competence. Yeah. And that was something which I picked up this, this morning in a speech that Mandela made in the 51st gathering of the ANC's uh, movement where he was comparing uh, a list that our Tambo had given him for his new cabinet to the desire by one of the 
tripartite alliance to first appoint the NEC. And he said, over my dead body will popularity prevail over competence. And sadly, he's no longer with us. Yeah. I'm furious about it all. I mean, just on the international front, the big news of the week has been the sudden ousting of Sam Altman from ChatGPT. Every moment of the week, there's been new gyrations of what has happened. I mean, it's very obvious that the board made a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake and kind of misjudged the situation completely. Not the most popular mistake amongst the people. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And Microsoft jumped in and said, we'll have it. It's nice to know that there's a sort of global idiot quotient that's, <laughs> uh, you know, that doesn't... <laughs> We're not only leaders in the genie coefficient, we might be leaders in the absence of genius coefficient. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, good point. In case you haven't been reading the news, of course, Sam Altman was surprisingly fired. He is the CEO of OpenAI, and this was one day after he had met the Chinese premier, <laughs> Xi Jinping, yeah. at, you know, representing the AI American business, among many others, of course. So then, of course, Microsoft hired him. Microsoft has a big investment in OpenAI. Yeah. But it does seem to be, you know, really strange. I mean, it, it does tell a, a little bit of a story about, about startup companies. You know, when startup companies go through this difficult transition from being really fighting for capital, fighting for survival, and then it suddenly transforms itself into an enormous money spinner. And then, boy, do the cats and mice start playing. Yeah. Well, I've, I've had some experience of the trials and tribulations of a startup becoming successful. First of all, my strong advice is to build a startup outside of the public eye. Because what happens is that you, you have this initial success. And then everybody wants to have a piece of it. And there's, uh, you know, there's this feeling of being left out and all of this goes, you know, FOMO. And, uh, and then the public share price goes out of hand. And then owners and, and managers of the company find themselves under extraordinary pressure to prematurely harvest what should still be a growth strategy, okay, to, to fill this need of the uninformed enthusiast. And so, you know, startups, before they become mature, predictable, annuity-earning producers, should really do so in the quiet protection of their own little warehouse. The minute you take them public, you create moods and things which can distract you from the fundamental strategic purpose. So, and they all go through these phases, and then the survivors, of which there are very few, yeah. then the survivors eventually grow up into being grown-up companies, and it all settles, and true value eventually, as always, emerges. But uh, it goes through these vaccinations when you know it gets discovered, and the crowdfunding, and the and the crowd enthusiasm, and the you know I, I learned a lesson about joining a party too late. Never start drinking when everyone else is drunk, okay? <laughs> yeah, because. You know, <laughs> Yeah, because you'll be left on your own with the hangover when they've already recovered. <laughs> okay, so yeah, that froth, uh, you be careful of the froth and try and look deeper into the fundamental strategic purpose and positioning of the entity rather than the feast or famine mood around it. Oh, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to do a startup. It should be hard. But the ones that are right do prevail. They do prevail. So don't stop investing. I mean, I, I do think that, you know, we, we are making discoveries week by week almost now about yeah. the application, the utility of AI. Wow. Yeah. I read something very, very funny this week. Somebody said the difference between what we have at the moment and AI 
is that if you ask Google a question, you're basically sending out your reliable hound into the world to look for an answer to a question. And if you ask the same question to ChatGPT, it's like sending out a whole pack of border collies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, it nice. does seem like the, the one of the complicating factors in, in this case was the, the very complex structure of OpenAI. Yeah. You know, because they were sort of worried about, you know, the Terminator yeah. issue, you know, the, the issue of will AI get out of hand? And apparently the split was something between the people who, who really wanted it to, to slow down and the people who wanted it to go faster. And that seems like a very logical thing to argue about. Tim, I just think we need to accept that we will be replaced. Okay. I mean, stop fighting it. Okay. Okay. We, will, we are going to be replaced. I, I, I read that ABBA had had a virtual concert and they were getting like a million uh, people attending this virtual yeah, with concert holograms, with, with, yeah, with, yeah, with sort one. of avatar images, holograms, yes. singing and conning to kill her. And so, I mean, just, you know, Give up, Tim. Let them take <laughs> over, and, and we can beam ourselves to each other, yes. and that's what's going to happen, okay? Because eventually, and this is, I think, true, we won't know the difference between the output of, of a robot and the output of a human being. It'll be indiscernible, and you'll be eventually not be able to tell whether Picasso painted something or whether AI, with sufficient knowledge, came close enough to a Picasso painting to call it an original. And then we're into a fight. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is seeing, I don't know whether you've seen a lot of AI pictures, but for some weird reason, you can ask an AI to, you know, sort of paint you a picture. But the thing that the AI really has trouble with is fingers. There's always too few or too many fingers. Oh, God. Also on the international front, Argentina's anarcho-capitalist has been elected. I don't know whether I pronounced his name correctly, but it's Malay. Javier Milay. Milay, yeah. Milay, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sort of wondering why. I mean, he seems really unhinged. I, you know, I mean, I mean, he is the president, but, you know, it's, it, yeah, it just yeah, does yeah. seem to me that he is, you know, a little bit on the edge there. So I was sort of wondering why this had taken place. I mean, you know, you know that that Argentina has been in economic trouble for years and years and years. What I didn't know is the extent of it. And this is one of my numbers. Apparently, 100 pesos, 100 Argentinian pesos could buy you $25 in uh, 2011. It now buys you 25 American cents. I mean, it's just you know, we, we, we think the rant is weak, yeah. but, you know, yeah. this is yeah. just extraordinary. Um, so yeah. I presume that Argentina has a uh, uh, Well, it used to be $1.25 to the rand. Eh? No, this yeah. is true. In the late true. 90s. Anyway, uh, staying with Argentina, I saw an amazing graph. In fact, I, you know, I had to pause and look at it. It was the graph of the share price of the Argentinian state-owned energy company, which is obviously listed, right. which moved 30% up immediately on the announcement of his uh, election as president. So, you know, I don't know whether he can do it, but I can tell you what it all is to me. It is an endorsement of change from a situation of continuous failure to the hope of an alternative success. That's what happened. Now, whether it can be done, whether he's the right person to do it, all of that stuff. But I think 
Argentina was going like, we can't carry on with what we've been doing up to now. You know, if you keep on doing the same thing, you're going to get the same result. Anything that's different, we're prepared to give it a go. Yes, I mean, yes, I, yes. there's an element of that in it, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we've got some discussions like that ourselves. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, On a similar theme, I thought it was a big issue this last week, the report of Ricardo Hausmann's Harvard Growth Lab about the South African economy. I mean, he's been involved in South African economic development for years. He was a member of ASKISA. He did a report a long time ago in 2006 about how South Africa could go from being good to being brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Now, he's, he, this is the second version of the report. And somebody said, you know, the thing about this report is that it's no longer going from, from good to, you know, better. It's sort of like, how do we stop the, the decline? You know? yeah. And his prognosis is, you know, to, to, I guess to most people, I don't know, to most people who are concentrating, I don't know how anybody can sort of argue with this, but his, his argument is that South Africa has to do something about state collapse, which just seems the most obvious thing. Yeah. What's more controversial, I think, is that the reasons he gives for state collapse are cadre deployment and tenderpreneurship. You know, pretty obvious, actually, I th would have thought, but, uh, mm. but clearly not for everybody. Yeah, what do you think? Almost every day now, I read about incompleted projects that have cost hundreds of millions of rand. Yeah. And that's the intersection of those two uh, forces that you've just mentioned. I mean, I just recently, there was, there was a wastewater plant somewhere in the Northwest province that's in the felt, unfunctional, and it costs 300 million to build okay, <laughs> yes, yes, in yes. the felt. Okay, so, yeah, and so it's sitting there, it's not, I mean, you go like, who in their right mind, I mean, you, you just can't reconcile the extent to which money has been taken out of the system, you know, under false pretenses. And so... I think there is an increasingly obvious mixture of total lack of understanding and mischief. Okay, and I don't think it's all mischief. I think, you know, it's just like, you know, how much do you want for that waste? Well, I was thinking 300 million. Yes. Oh, but sorry, yes, it's, yes. it's a little dam with a pump next to it. Yeah. Right. Okay, 18 million, won't it? And yes. I, oh, great okay. deal. Great deal. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it sounds like a great deal. Can I have some change from that? You know, that's fine. Okay. So, so these things are all increasing result of not applying standard economic and capital equations and trading it fair market value. So until that stops and until there is sufficient, albeit unwelcome, competence in the room to pass those judgments, to know the bloody difference, yes. you're going to keep doing it. Yes. I know, you know, you know, it was interesting. There was a cabinet briefing this week. It was presented by a minister in the presidency, Mr. Kambusa Nchaveni. Yeah. She seemed to be completely disconnected. The claim was that South Africa is resilient that South Africa is rising. They sort of congratulated themselves on a drop of broad unemployment yeah. from 42.1% to 42.2%. I mean, the, you know, yeah. that, that's, that's cause for, <laughs> for celebration. I mean, it's yeah. just extraordinary. And then she, she sort of also said something weird about, uh, about South African banks and about the currency manipulation. Yeah. I mean, it's just sort of very strange. Anyway. Well, I mean, this currency manipulation, there are things I do agree with. Well, whatever the banks are doing, they must be found out and they must pay the appropriate fines or, or whatever is yeah. another appropriate judgment. But to then extrapolate essentially what was probably some traders skimming a couple of cents off some, you know, agreed trade prices slightly different. I don't know what happened. I've got no idea what happened. That, that happened many, many, many years ago. 
I think it was in, you know, I don't know, 10 or more years ago. And then to extrapolate that behavior onto a mission to destroy the country is just absurd. Okay. I mean, first of all, why would South African banks club together to destroy South <laughs> Africa? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, the entire balance sheet would be destroyed with no. it. It's like suicide, no. okay, if that was your mission. A. B. Tell me. Which way would the currency move to destroy South Africa? In those days when we were an export-driven, commodity-producing country, a weaker currency would have served our balance of payments better than a strong yes. currency. Okay, so if the currency weakened at that time, then that's hardly destroying the country. And so there are a whole lot of deep understandings required before a mouthpiece of the presidency yes. can stand up and make such absurd observations, uh, which goes to the real credibility, the knowledge base, and everything else that comes out of that forum. It's, it's disappointing, and it smacks of electioneering and desperation. Yeah. It was a disgrace. All right. Before we depress ourselves too much, which is <laughs> the, the, the okay, problem with right, South Africa, okay. can we please talk a little bit about fish? I don't, I don't want to overemphasize this issue, but I do find fish very interesting and I've got an interesting number for you on this topic. Well, for, from a man who is resident in the Karoo, where there is a total absence of fish, I can understand why you <laughs> linger after the days when fish used to survive. I can't wait to go for it. Okay, right. The question is basically this. What is the annual production in millions of tons of fishing compared to aquaculture? You're obviously on tender hooks waiting for the answers. Yeah, yeah I, am. I, am. <laughs> the, I am. I'm actually reaching for an understanding of the difference between fishing and aquaculture, whatever that big word was. But I'll, I'll just go with the number. <laughs> okay, so we're basically fishing out of the ocean compared to growing them on farms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Fish that have been farmed. Yeah, yeah. So the answer is that about 80 million tons of fish are hauled out of the sea every year. And that has been static, by the way, since 1980 for 50 years, slightly higher, but generally speaking in that kind of range. Aquaculture overtook fishing out of the sea or uh, fish farming overtook sort of natural fishing in 2010. It's now around about 40% higher. So if you're eating fish, if you have a fish for supper, there's an exceptionally good chance that it is the product of aquaculture rather than of somebody throwing a net into the sea. I just thought that was interesting. I think it's good, though. You know, water covers two-thirds of the planet. A fish is very good for you. It's good protein. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think people have underestimated or, or haven't noticed, or at least I haven't, the, the explosion of aquaculture. And I just think it's very, it's great. It's good. I think it's the phenomenon that goes way beyond the fishing industry. I mean, if you look at poultry, yes, exactly. and if you oh, look yeah. at, you know, we've seen the consequences of bird flu that it's had on egg production. You know, we, we produce something like 29 million eggs. I promise you, they're not picked up in the yard from a few oaks laying eggs. They, they're in a long straight line, <laughs> yes, yes, laying according laying to like program, crazy. And a program <laughs> and a discipline. Yeah, get set, lay, lay, yeah, lay, lay, lay. And, uh, okay, so, and, 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 and it's no different to hydroponics in the production of fruit and vegetables. It's not, yes. I mean, eventually these things, as the world population has a higher, higher demand and the natural earth, uh, you know, doesn't uh, multiply 
at the same rate, then you start having to produce these things in controlled circumstances. Yep. I think the next and more worrying step is not when you're farming fish, but when you're making fish out of some kind of like cell multiplier in a laboratory <laughs> yes, yes. and you're creating a thing and you can eventually print the damn things. Okay, print me a salmon there. What would you? Okay. <laughs> That's when we've crossed the line. I don't know. All right. Mark, thanks very much. Can I please just ask whether I can uh, sign off with the, the obvious sign off? Please do. Uh, which is, you know, cheers, Mark, and thanks for the fish. <laughs> <laughs> cheers, guys. Next week. Bye. This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network. The biggest pod, pod network on the continent. For sales inquiries, please contact, contact us at info at africapodcastnetwork.com.